Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Biggest Table. I am your host, Andrew Camp, and the idea behind this podcast is to explore the table, food, eating, and hospitality as an arena for experiencing God's love and our love for one another. And today, I'm thrilled to welcome Alex Mendez uh, as my guest. And so welcome, Alex. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days? Sure. Um, so I... Um... Just uh, finished one job and starting to work on another project. But in the past, I've uh, planted churches, uh, three on my own, and have mentored in quite a few others. I have created non-formal theological training for immigrants who may not be able to afford or speak the language, but need the equipping as uh, pastors and leaders. Uh, has been quite successful. About 1,500 have gone through that. Uh, I've created uh, church planting training, mostly for Spanish speakers. Um, I speak quite often at conferences. One of my favorite ones is the multi-ethnic conference uh, that happens every three years with Mark DeMoss. Um, uh, my great passion is making disciples and uh, uh, planting churches, particularly um, multi-ethnic, and uh, because a great need now and is really multiplying, it's uh, Spanish-speaking. I have uh, five daughters, fifteen grandchildren. I live in San Antonio, and uh, I love to read and study. I have a couple of master's degree uh, and a doctoral degree, uh, and I'm rooting for uh, the University of Texas Longhorns. <laughs> awesome! Yeah. <laughs> No, thanks, Alex. And I first became aware of you uh, when I was working at Mountain Life Church in Park City as we were sure. uh, embracing the multi-ethnic um, and had a few couples that were um, from Spanish-speaking countries and were wanting to start a Spanish-speaking service. And so through your efforts with the free church, um, you know, it was quite successful. And through that, we, my wife and I became have become good friends with Ruben and Aurelis Navarrete, who yeah. I think you're... Good buddies. Gave yeah. that name. Yep. And then Alex Rivero. Um, and so, no, I have really appreciated what you did um, to help um, spread that and to help EV free churches become multi-ethnic. Um, and so, no, I really appreciate you being on this. And so as we begin, um, how has the table and food factored into your journey, both spiritually and just who you are as a person? You know, those things really merge together because uh, food and fellowship just go together in my culture. Um, you know, it's kind of, uh, I, I was raised in Laredo and, uh, we never figured out portions. We just always made sure we had more than enough for the people that we knew we would invite at the last minute. Hmm. And whatever we had is what they got. Or there was a, a tortilla and butter they could have <laughs> over there. But for us, it just flowed. I mean, our family reunions, we're up in the 100, uh, 200, 250 people. Uh, of course, uh, more of Catholic back then, so they would send a Catholic priest to make sure we didn't get too far out of line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even as, uh, in, as a pastor, we always made sure that uh, we were reaching out for people that didn't have somewhere else to go. Thanksgiving would usually turn into a 25 to 30 people. Mm -hmm. Uh, now that I'm not pastoring, my daughters do the same thing. In fact, uh, two of them were recently tapped on the shoulders to help their churches or organizations uh, organize the hospitality. And and they said, well, Dad, uh, being a pastor's daughter certainly 
uh, prepared us for that role. So food and fellowship really do go hand in hand. I can't think of a time when we don't sit down for coffee or a meal or something like that. They they just um, connect souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it seems to be a bigger priority in the Latino culture. And so- Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm in a church uh, that I helped start here in San Antonio, a second language service like the one you're in. And uh, when I took my role with the Evangelical Free Church, they said I couldn't pastor uh, because of all the travel. So I went to a church that was close by my house, which was only English speaking. And all around the church was about 50% uh, Spanish speakers. And so working together, we helped start a second language service. And as I did with Ruben, one of my jobs was moving the right people to the right places and brought a great uh, a Chilean guy here from Minnesota. <laughs> uh, and it was interesting because the church I was going to said one of their high values was relationship. And um, and yet church was cleared out <laughs> with five to ten minutes. So the Hispanic church uh, got started. And they make a joke that everything is about food. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, church would go on 20, 30, 40 minutes afterwards. And after a while, the, his, the uh, spe- English speakers started drifting over our way, wondering what was going on. And and there was plenty of food. And if there wasn't enough, nobody made a deal out of it. We just kind of portioned it out or put some more water in the soup. And, and uh, after a while, the English speakers started noting there was quite a difference of culture even though we were technically one church. Hmm. Um, uh, and and uh, a lot of things happened around that, and it really helped the other church. It's one church, but it really helped the English-speaking church realize the value of it. So when they did a remodel, they put a huge state-of-the-art kitchen, <laughs> and they put it closer to the Hispanic congregation. That's awesome. <laughs> and they do a lot of the cooking and a lot of the... I mean, there's always something going on. Yeah. So you've seen the table break down barriers then. Oh, um, absolutely. 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 Yeah. Um, and then there's you, nothing professional about it. Nothing. Nothing. No. <laughs> it is just what people would make at home and eat at home. And they just happen to make it at church or bring it from home and make it there. So there's not a whole lot of drama about who's going to bring what. <laughs> they just make it happen. Organic for real. For sure. The Latino culture just seems to want to invite this hospitality and this generous welcoming to the table. Uh, or take it to them. Yeah. Or take it to people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a there's not a uh, a chain, what I don't know what food chain or something like that. They just everybody just kind of takes care of it. There's not a who's gonna take care of that person. It just gets done. And um very organically, very lovingly, uh, not professionally. Uh, it's just like what a, an uncle or an aunt or a relative would take uh, to another uncle or aunt that would take care of them. And it's not just the food. I mean, uh, you know, they talk about the five love languages. The sixth one <laughs> <laughs> in the Hispanic culture is food. Yeah. No, um, and that's beautiful. And I love how you murder for me. It w- I was the national director for Hispanic ministry, and everybody and their mother <laughs> thought I should be eating their food. Man, it took me, I mean, I put on weight. <laughs> so, 
before I started saying, oh, you know, I'm not feeling so good or something like that. But I knew they were thought they knew I was <laughs> not being truthful. But, you know, I, it doesn't matter how much you eat. It's that you sit down. Hmm. It's not even about the food. Uh, it's that you sit down. And um, and it's what happens when you're sitting down. Uh, you know, I, I, I one time read a, about this pastor, Andrew, who um, he did a lot of visitation and everybody wondered how he got so much in. He said, well, I've learned, I just, when I walk in, and this was a formal long time ago, I make sure I take off my jacket and put it across the chair. Hmm. And then I'm gone in 10 minutes and people never realized that I was just there for a little bit of time. Because when I was there, I was in the moment. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so food and culture and, you know, being a, yeah, so I probably need to quit talking and let you. No, no, I love it. I love that, you know, you've mentioned that it's not about the food, but it's just about sitting down um, and seeing each other, um, which I feel like is so rare in or in today in today's culture. Well, so excuse me for monopolizing your time. No. But the funny thing about it is, um, you know, when I hear about Latino culture or Hispanic culture, I have a little bit of uh, education at times that I feel like I need to do because, you know, when an immigrant, when a Mexican or a Chilean or, you know, uh, a Venezuelan comes to America, they're not Hispanic and they're not Latino. Okay. They're Venezuelan, they're Mexican, yeah. they're Puerto Rican, they're this, that, or the other. And so, you know, when America calls them Latinos, Puerto, you know, in our mind, we kind of filter that and say, okay, I'm not going to correct them again. Um, so, you know, when we sit down together as a meal at church, we have an opportunity to flavor international. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Microsoft Word has 10 dictionaries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for Spanish. And so when it comes to food, there's, you know, Venezuelan food, there's Mexican food, there's Chilean food, you know. And uh, so it's actually not only good fellowship, but it's uh, an experience. Hmm. So uh, I'm, you know, everybody's always wondering what I am because I speak English so well in Spanish. And, and um, you know, my mom was uh, uh, Texican. <laughs> My father was Puerto Rican, uh, so I uh, am. I enjoy it all. I, I, not, not only the food, but it's uh, the culture because food speaks of culture. Mm -hmm. uh, food speaks of culture, and and uh, as I said, it's the sixth love language for. Um, we'll go ahead and use the term Hispanic, uh, Latino, uh, but yeah, it's it is a lovely thing. No, it is. They recently it, threw me a birthday, a retirement party, <laughs> and surprised me. And it was amazing—a little bit of this and that and the other. And then I'm, when I think I've had enough, then they throw in mariachis. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and these are not rich people, okay? Right. But fellowship just means a whole lot. And I, I think they would have thrown a party. <laughs> my, 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 my changing of jobs was just an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> An excuse. Any excuse to throw a party and to get any, food on the table. Any excuse. And they don't worry about is is everything perfect. You know, it's 
sometimes perfect kills uh, a good thing. No, for sure. Yeah. We're so worried about getting everything just right that we miss the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, But I love what you said that, you know, Latino culture, we just sort of lump it all together as white Anglo people. Um, So how, how do we invite that curiosity then? Like how, how can we, when we're sitting across, invite curiosity versus fear or generalization, do you think? Well, I think um, I think one of the things that uh, this is one of the areas where some things are better caught than taught. Hmm. I think if you were ex- ask a, a Latino, <laughs> how do you do that? They'd probably be mystified, wondering, what are you talking about? It's kind of the water that they swim in is a fish. And they just know it and see it so much. But maybe because I've gone between cultures, I know what you're talking about. But uh, maybe the best way to answer that would be remembering it's better caught than taught was what I have uh, mentioned before when the English-speaking congregation started seeing um, the Spanish congregation at first (laughs) – they would complain about the mess. <laughs> and the door's open. Or who's going to clean this? Or where are we going to... And then after a while, they started looking beyond those concerns, which are legitimate concerns. Mm-hmm. Saying, wow, these people are having fun. Uh, wow, these people didn't take the time to put it on the calendar four weeks ago. These, oh, wow, these people uh, are staying around a long time. They're not sched- scheduling a fellowship group with a purpose and a mission and a vision. I mean, these guys are just making it happen. So I think one of the ways is just kind of modeling it. Hmm. Uh, Sometimes you need training wheels before you can ride on a bike, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, So sometimes it's just, uh, you know, having people over and say, Hey, let's, uh, let's do this together. And, and then as people step back, they kind of, they kind of do autopsy, you know, they do an autopsy. Okay, uh, uh, how did they do this? Well, first of all, it's from the heart. Mm-hmm. Second of all, it's to be a blessing. And third of all, they're living life together. Because at those meals, they're not just talking about the food. Mm-mm. They're talking about the struggles of life. They're talking about uh, their children. Their relatives stuck in Venezuela. Uh, they're talking about uh, their cars and their schools and their children and and the struggles of life. So, in a way, in order to learn that, because it's not strategy, goal, vision, it's culture. Right. And you've heard that saying, "Culture eats strategy for breakfast every morning." Yeah. Some of those things you have to just sit and soak up hmm. before you can walk away and analyze it and reproduce it. Um, or you can get really creative. <laughs> Empower the Hispanics to do it right. for the children and give them a budget and shut up. <laughs> shut up and let them do it. And... Uh, and empower them. And, uh, you know, and uh, so, you know, I think, I think uh, it's, it's just really one of those things where you can't just uh, 
take apart and strategize and reproduce because you'll do it wrong because you won't get it from the heart. Hmm. And you'll try to micromanage it by the minute. I, I mean, I've spoken at churches that would have three services, and I mean, they would give me this minute by minute, half minute schedule. And when you're going to do something uh, like fellowship with Neil with Hispanics, the last thing you want to be worried about is when does it start and when does it finish? Uh, so we're actually talking about culture change. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you can write up in a book and do. Now, I want to tell you, uh, Hispanics aren't the only ones that have this as a cultural value. I yeah. mean, uh, Hispanics and African-Americans are so alike when it comes to that. In fact, one of the things that's really interesting because, uh, I mean, a, a social work background and cultural anthropologist sort of, I've been amazed how when I go to other cultures, uh, there's a lot of similarity in their food. I mean, African-Americans eat uh, oxtail and they have chitlings and actually Hispanics have a lot of the same. I mean, they call it chitlings. We call it uh, chicharrones. <laughs> <laughs> and they're both tasty. <laughs> and they're both tasty. And, you know, half of the fun is just cooking it together. Yeah. So, um I think one of the hard parts about uh, our uh, our majority culture is wanting to understand and reproduce before they've felt hmm. and appreciate it. And, and maybe in some ways it's better to empower or just bring the church over here and do it with us. But um, there's a lot of other cultures and I'm, I'm, I would say that it's in Anglo culture also, English speaking culture also. So, you know, my, uh, I've been around other, fa you know, families of our, our own that are just as welcoming, just as focused on food. Um, so I, I think, uh, I think so much of, uh, what happens nowadays is people want to reproduce without really understanding or valuing and, uh, uh, and I think it's in other cultures also. I mean, African-American culture, it's step for step, step for step, just right there with uh, Hispanics. And I have a feeling Asian cultures are the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I think uh, the part about reproducing it is um, making sure that people are really understanding the cultural rather than the food component. Hmm. You know, what's going on around the table not being rushed, uh, empowering other people to lead until you understand. You can't reproduce what you don't value and understand. Wow. Well, you can. You, <laughs> you can. <laughs> you may not get the same outcome. No, no. But it's that invitation to the table and letting them teach us as Anglos. Yeah, you know, it's a strategy I do you watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you do, I watch, and then you go do the same with somebody else. I mean, but when it comes to food, it's it's something more akin to reaching the soul. You know, uh, the way to a person's uh, man's heart is through his stomach. Well, I think the way to people's soul is through their stomach, but it's not just the food. It's the time that people mm -hmm. give. It's the I'm not rushing you thing. It's uh, 
I've taken from my stuff and given to you and I'm going to enjoy your stuff and we'll sit down together and you will have the Puerto Rican rice and you can bring um, the chitlins and heck, if there's not enough protein or if there's not enough bread or if there's not enough of this, that or the other, at least we had a meal together that was good. So uh, I have rarely seen... Uh, okay, I I may not see it all that they actually plan these things all out. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in fact, it kind of would scare me if it was too bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Our huh. church just celebrated their, uh, I think it was the ninth anniversary, and uh, they did something that was really, really weird. They hired a caterer. <laughs> it was a street truck guy who did a great job when it came to the food. You could have thought that he was one of the relatives of somebody, but, uh, and everybody was invited. And a lot of people from the English church came. So they, they overbought. They set out a lot of tables. So the culture part was the same, even though the food uh, wasn't from them. Hmm. I really think it's about what's going on around the food and that people are giving than uh, than uh, a lot of other things. I really, you know, when people sit together, it's not, they're not looking at their watches. No. Uh, they're not, um, they're, yeah, it's it's not a watch thing. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's about everybody bringing a piece of who they are to this table. And the kids are everywhere. Right. I mean, there's not a babysitter, no. uh, and some people's kids are sitting at other table with other people because their kids are there, and the people at that table are taking care of those kids, and um, there's a lot of uh, co-parenting going on. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, so there's, I think the, I can't, I guess I'm kind of rambling, but it's kind of exciting to me to think about it. No, it is, and there's sort of this beautiful chaos that ensues when when cultures gather i i think that really i mean we're not expecting perfection no uh we would be very surprised if somebody would say okay we've been here 45 or 59 minutes and 59 seconds time for everybody to go <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even the cleanup is done together so it's a uh, committee sometimes doesn't work uh Sometimes it's great. I mean, I think I, I certainly believe in organization, administration. But when it comes to food and fellowship, it's one of those things that you've got to be very careful to not overmanage. Yeah. Now, maybe in big churches, really. I mean, when we're talking about Hispanic churches, we're talking about 100, 200, 300. You start talking about large congregations. Um, and any, and it's, it's a economy of scale kind of gets messed up. No, it does. Yeah. The the bigger the crowd, the harder. Yeah. The harder it is yeah. to, um, in some respects. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means it's a different animal. It is. No. But most uh, congregations in America are the side of Hispanics. I mean, Hispanic congregations may be smaller, actually. But uh, the normal church in America today is 100 to 200. I mean, the big churches, that's another thing altogether. No. Yeah. Uh, Here, and here's the other thing, uh, Andrew. It yeah. doesn't end at the table. 
a lot of conversations happen that kind of go into other things. I mean, I was having breakfast with a man today who's been having a horrible time with his car. Uh, I mean, really, really horrible. And and he has to do the work himself. And he was just telling me about, oh, this other guy's helping me and this other guy. And we started talking over a meal. And, you know, we've been working on this. Some almost become a project. I almost yeah. wonder if it's going to be any good. I mean, I wonder if it's uh, I almost want them not to be able to fix the car. <laughs> <laughs> Although it needs to be fixed. But they've been having too much fun that started over a meal, working on a car together. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, it's to finish with the meal or the meeting. No, it just spills over. The shared life isn't oh, yeah. just at the table. It's it's pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it feels sometimes, you know, being in the white evangelical church my whole life, which I'm I'm thankful for my heritage, but it, a lot of the spiritual activities feel very compartmentalized or even the relationships where it's like, okay, we do Sunday and then we do small group together, but you know, and, and it, those things need to happen. Yeah, they do. I think, I mean, it's not either or mm -hmm. it's both and. Right. Yeah. But to make sure that it's that those relationships then extend beyond the, just the spiritual quote unquote activities that we engage in together. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, so, yeah. And you've talked a lot and you know, our conversation has centered around this of sort of embracing this, your book is called Embracing the New Samaria, you know, and it's embracing this idea that cultural diversity is right in front of us. Um, if we open know, our eyes. Right. <laughs> That's what the, chap the book started with. Uh, um, the woman at the well, where Jesus says, open your eyes and look on the harvest. Hmm. Cultural diversity. Yeah. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no. And it's great. And that's what, you know, we're faced with this new reality, um, which I think is a beautiful reality. Um, but it seems that some people want to capitalize more on the fear of this new reality versus the beauty and, and the embracing of it. And so how, how do we move towards the embracing of this reality? Well, I think it begins with uh, the very beginning passage of the book, uh, John chapter 4, open your eyes and look on the harvest. Uh, sometimes the workers are in the harvest. Uh, America is going through major, major changes. And um, let me just call it, move from Hispanic ministry to um, refugees, immigrants, ethnic, ethnic groups, what I will call New Samaria. It's happening in the margins. So many of our churches, um, you know, our neighborhoods are changing. Uh, some churches get big, they sell their building and they move to the North 40. And then there's a bunch of churches, many, many churches that are neighborhoods are changing around them. And they drive into the neighborhood because they live outside the neighborhood. Uh, some churches are deciding, well, I don't want to leave. And I want to um, reach this neighborhood. So I think, Andrew, part of it is making that decision. Do we want to embrace the changes that are going on around us? <clears throat> and uh, actually, food is a great way to do that. Uh, welcoming people that are around you are a lot like that. Uh, and empowering them and asking them, how do can you help us reach your neighbors, our neighbors? Hmm. 
Hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times uh, those uh, outliers, like the woman at the well, the woman at the well was an outlier. Mm -hmm. uh, disciples went into the city uh, in John chapter four, and they came back with bologna, chips, sandwiches, uh, and uh, they didn't bring anybody from the city. The outlier, the woman at the well, was saved and went into the city and brought the people from the city out to meet Jesus. I think sometimes um, there's going to be outliers in our communities in, and that will go to our churches and will be curious. And, you know, I think if we made a concerted effort to make sure that our church, first of all, is headed in the right direction in terms of welcoming. Because a lot of times uh, Samaritans have uh, double consciousness. They uh, may not speak the language as well, and they might be bicultural. And so they're very attuned to, um, we're not wanted here. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm not saying their double consciousness is accurate all the time, but a little bit of uh, a fly in the ointment ruins the whole perfume. So if the church doesn't really have their head on straight in terms of that they do want to reach the changing neighborhood, if they don't, if they're not on board with that, if there's not a value and a missional strategy and a desire, uh, then when the woman at the well comes, instead of treating like, like Jesus, we'll treat them like the disciples. Why are you talking to her? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and she returned the favor by saying, why are you talking to me? Right. Yeah. I mean, the missionary mentality is what Jesus said. Hey, give me a drink. Uh, and uh, she tries to rebuff him. And he says, well, I can give you eternal life. I mean, he wasn't going to be turned away. He kept no. on coming. And even though he made some uh, culturally, quote unquote, uh, faux pas, he just kept on going. And so... Part of it is, one, having our head straight that we want to reach this neighborhood and people that don't want to, it would be best if they didn't hang around. And I think sometimes because churches aren't clear about what they want to do, the whole congregation is in shock when we uh, invite a Samaritan into the church. You know, they smoke, <laughs> they cuss. They do all these other things, but you know what? They're looking for love in all the right places, and that should be in the church. Mm -hmm. So I think number one is for the church to be self-aware enough to know what's going on around them. And so mm -hmm. uh, as a side note from that, to know what's happening in your neighborhood, uh, you don't have to do a census. You don't really have to go to the Census Bureau. You know, the best way to figure out what's happening in your neighborhood is check out the local high school demographics. It will mm -hmm. shock people because that's where the, that's where you'll really know what your neighborhood is. The second one is go to your local grocery store because those guys are in it for money. Right. <laughs> They're going to get what people want to buy. So just go to your international. I mean, my neighborhood over here, we go to the grocery store. There's about 100 different versions of hot sauce, including the stuff from New York City. <laughs> And uh, I found even one from Laredo. Oh, there you but, go. You know, as far as census and knowing what's in your neighborhood, just check out your local schools. Look, check out your school district. What are the demographics there? That's all you have to do. Second of all is, hey, do we want to reach these people? Is that our value or mission? Number two, look, look for those outliers. Hmm. Look for the guys that are cutting our grass at the church or uh, 
different people in the church who say, hey, we're looking for outliers in our area. How do we minister them, reach them, serve them? So one of the things that I started was Immigrant Hope uh, that helped churches figure out how to serve the immigrants in their area. But really, um, English is a second language. I mean, our church started English as a second language. On the English side, they started it, not on the Spanish side. And boom, I mean, uh, I think they had 20, 20 different nationalities in, in the, they're coming for it. And, you know, when you, when you help people, that's, that's when they really start asking why and who are you? And, you know, after a while, those people start coming to church. I mean, um, so one, uh, be aware of, of, of your neighborhood. Uh, number, num actually number one, get your values right. Communicate to the church. Number two, Try to understand and uh, uh, what's around you. Mm -hmm. uh, three, start with service. Uh, start with service. I mean, doing things for the neighborhood, uh, doing things for people. English is a second language. Uh, food bank, clothes, food, you know, closet. Uh, um, one church uh, uh, actually. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can do. And if I give you examples, I'll limit you, but there's so right. many different things. Somebody has written a book, I'm sure about that. But basically I think the mo the three most important things are, you know, is it a church value? Uh, have we done a, a study of what it is and opened our eyes and looked, uh, find those outliers. Some of them may even be already in the church. You know, some of them may be English speaking folk that have connections with the outliers that are around us, and then you cultivate relationships. And fourth one, it's not going to be fast. I mean, it's not going to be fast. It will go at the speed of God. Hmm. And, uh, you know, if God gives you a woman at the well who can bring a townload of people, so be it. But I think sometimes we're going to be tested. The church needs to be ready to test it. They need to know that you're really in it for them and uh, understand. They're the future. I mean, so many churches now in those churches in the margin where, you know, their people have left and some people are still driving in and they're down to a tenth of the size they used to be. Um, those people can be the future of the church. And, you know, that might be scary for some people. You know, we, we uh, Scandinavians, uh, we were in this neighborhood and we built this church. They can build their own church. Okay, they probably can. Or you can say, hey, everything we ever did, it can pass forward hmm. to other people who will reach other people. And these Latinos may reach other people who come in neighborhoods. So I think uh, I think the church needs to have a mentality that this is God's church. Right. And what was done in the past doesn't need to end because hmm. different people are doing it. If they have the same doctrine, the same mission, the same vision, and if we've equipped them, resourced them, been around for them, then everything that we ever poured into that church can continue through those people that we equipped and reached. And they'll oh. take care of us. <laughs> no, and that's beautiful. I have, one picture, I have one picture emblazed in my eyes of this church in Minneapolis. I won't say the name of the church. It was kind of a flagship forever and ever EFCA church. And their neighborhood changed. And 
and they invited Hispanics to come to the church. And I have this beautiful picture of this elderly, sweet lady coming up the stairs and a Hispanic guy helping her up, up the steps, like mm. if it was his mother. Mm. And just emblazoned in my mind. That's, uh, And it can be the other way around, too. I mean, um, so just because we pass the church forward doesn't mean that we have to disappear. No. And in fact, we may actually become more enriched. Mentored. Mentored. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, because that God's heart for the nations is, <laughs> it starts every, you know, it starts at the beginning and continues all through the end. And so God's heart has always been this multi-ethnic diversity that worships Dude. in every tongue. When the world sees that, when the world sees us as one, the world will be W-O-N. Right. No, absolutely. So much divisiveness. You know, I think are told that we're so different. You know, if the church can embrace this oneness, I think people are longing for it and want to see something different than what we're told on cable news, whatever channel that may be. Yeah. What do you think is at the heart of that? What do you think is a major impediment? Forget about politics. Okay, you're asking the question, but I'm no. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try one on you. No, and I appreciate what's the major impediment to this. I really think it's it's the fear of the unknown. You know, Absolutely. we're we're Nailed. yeah, we're comfortable with what we know. Nailed it. Uh, fear. Mm -hmm. What's the opposite of fear? Love. Love. Love casts out fear. I think what we have is a fear, def a love deficit. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to really focus on, on that love, increasing our love. And as far as I'm concerned, love can be evangelistic. What did Jesus say in John 13, 13, 34 and 35? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Love for me is not a noun. It's a verb. Right. And it is evangelistic. Mm -hmm. And it is very, very attractive. Absolutely. I think that's, I, I circle back to the thing I asked. People need to ask, whose church is this? Hmm. And what is his purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, we start talking about food. And it is about that, but it's about sharing life. Mm -hmm. It's about uh, showing what's important. Um, you're important. My time is important, but there's sometimes when I just sit here and we have a meal and you share your life. Right. You know, one of the things that Jesus did was that he's a life on life disciple maker. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a program. It's not a set of books, although those are all helpful. All of those are helpful. Those are benefits that God has given us. But in the Jesus style of discipleship, it was life on life. Follow me. Follow me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think often I was talking to somebody this week, and we were talking about this new project of mine, this podcast, and he was asking why the table. And I 
we, you know, we were trying to distill it down. And finally he was like, well, to you, Andrew, it seems that love is in the shape of a table. Like you want to know what love is? Sit at a table. Um, that's, that's, he's missing the point. It's what happens at the table. It's not the table. Right. Yeah. It's like what Jesus said when, you know, the altar. It's not what's, it's not the altar. It's what happens on top of the altar. For sure. Yeah. So, no, and that's where I think when we can move beyond the abstraction of ideas of, and get to know face-to-face a person, you know, that's when the cultivation of love can really take place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally believe that. I mean, um, fellowship isn't brick and mortar. I had the opportunity to go to Turkey and I visited the seven churches. And when I got to, I, and when I got to, um, Ephesus, I mean, that place is still around because everything was made of marble. Hmm. <laughs> the prostitute sign is there. <laughs> wow. The toilets are still there. The temples for everything is there. And I could not find the church of Ephesus because it wasn't there. They hmm. built in homes. And God gave me this amazing insight. Ah, uh, I'm Ephesus. What they did around their homes, uh, Acts or uh, 242, right. uh, they did in homes, um, still endures today. Uh, I'm sure they met in homes and they had meals. In fact, they call them love, what were they called? Love feasts or? The agape feasts? Yes. Yeah. What was that? It was a meal. Mm-hmm. It was a meal. And it was about love. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a love language. It's a strategy. It's uh, it's culture. It's changing. It's not just uh, the leg of lamb or <laughs> the color of the beans. It's uh, what happens on top of the table. It's not just the table. No. Anybody who who uh, wants to ask why did you call it a table is missing what happens around the table. Right. And that's, I was talking, I interviewed Mike Frost for this podcast. Um, he's a missiologist from Australia, but he was talking about just the love feasts and how they were different to Roman times because everyone was welcome. There wasn't a divisiveness. There wasn't a, well, you know, you're not of the same class. It was, you know, it was where they modeled Paul's admonition to us in Galatians 3.28, where there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek nor Jew. You know, we're all one in Christ. Uh, you know, and I think that's what was the beauty that modeled the early church modeled for us. Um, you know, and he mentions that that's what turned Rome upside down. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't yeah. politics. It wasn't influencing politics. It was just small acts of love around a table and demonstrating something counter-cultural. You know, the interesting thing, uh, now that you mentioned it, it starts off with small acts around the table. But if you're talking about Rome and the first three centuries, Rodney Stark's book, talking about uh, the rise of Christianity, uh, talked about acts of service uh, during the plagues. Right. So in reality, what happens around the table gets amplified through around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What happens around the table gets amplified 
around the neighborhood. And that gets amplified around the world. And that's a point that Rodney Stark made. He said uh, how Christians behaved during the plagues made Christianity a world religion. Hmm. Starts for me around the table. Yeah, because what we practice together is who we become. Say that again. When we're, what we're doing around the table when no one's watching, right? It's amplified in the neighborhood. Uh, one of the things that I, I wrote in the book is I call it the GC three, the Great Commandment, plus the Great Commission, should result in the Great Community. Hmm. When we love people, the Great Commandment um, added to the Great Commission, which is to make disciples, should result in the Great Community. And what I mean by community is not just the people in the church, but the people outside of the church. Uh, I think about that passage in Corinthians, Second Corinthians, um, that we are the aroma of Christ hmm. to those who are perishing and those who are saved. I mean, uh, the great commandment of love plus the great commission of making disciples should result in a great community. It can't end around the table. No. It cannot end around the table because then it's just a fraternity, a sorority. We can do that anywhere. Right. So it, the table's got to be the beginning point. Right. And where we we take that table to all the nations, you know, right. and, and, and then not even just take our table, but then go as guests into culture, uh, not as experts, but as learners and curious people. Right. So when I hear your... Your title is about the table. For me, I don't get stuck on the table. We could eat on the floor. Right. It's what yeah. happens around. Mm-hmm. What happens not only around the table, but outside after the table. Hmm. It's kind of like the sermon. You know, the sermon is casting vision and values. Uh, and then what happens after that? This table is the same way. I mean, the Lord's Supper is a table. It wasn't meant just for us to eat those elements and say, wipe my mouth and say, what's next? It's to be pointing us to proclaim Christ. Same way with this table. It's not just about the color of the beans. It's about doing life on life together. Hmm. For me, that's part of discipleship. And then what do we do after the table? You know, if if that's all it is, I can find other places where there's better food. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, not not better fellowship. I, I, uh, it's 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 not about the goodness of the food. That's I'm missing the point. It's hmm. about what happens afterward. It's the big and then. Yeah. No, that's a good reminder. You know that the table isn't was never meant to just be a holy huddle, but it was meant to be an impetus to invite others into our own tables, into our own homes. Yeah. So people like that get stuck on strategy and they forget culture. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Oh, let's have a table. Let's set up tables. Let's have a monthly uh, fellowship uh, dinner. Uh, And uh, let's make sure that you know, Johnny's got the stuff there and somebody's going to turn the lights on and somebody's going to turn the lights off and, and we're going to have a program and, uh, 
we're going to make sure we're here at uh, on time and we're out at uh, 90, 80.59.59. And we've got a strategy down and somebody's executing it. Somebody's making sure it's happening. All well and good. <laughs> but what happens afterwards? And what happens around the table? Oh, we're going to have uh, icebreakers. <laughs> and we're going to have uh, make sure that everybody gets a piece of meat and a piece of rice and uh, a piece of bread. All good. All good. All good. But we need to make sure that we're not just talking strategy. We're also talking culture. And that's mm -hmm. where we're talking about the outcome, not just the income. Right. The input, the output. No. Wow. Lot to to think through and digest when you when you start talking, Alex. I appreciate your wisdom and insight into all of this. As you think about the church today, what story do you hope the church embodies or or tells for our world? I think that we we um, well. First of all, for me, everything comes back to discipleship, loving people. Got to start with love. Uh, you know, in, in uh, one mission organization that I knew their strategy was wind, build, equip. And that always stuck in my craw. Hmm. <laughs> it stuck in my craw, wind, build, equip, because they missed the with. Hmm. When Jesus called people, it was to be with him. So wind, uh, build, equip, without the with, for me, smacks of a strategy that doesn't connect to people's hearts and souls. Hmm. Maybe they intended it, maybe they meant it. But for me, I think um, it is not wrong for me to think strategy of making disciples, the GC3. Mm -hmm. it, it's not wrong to know the outcome. You know, Covey says, think of the end from the beginning. I think that's wonderful. I think that should be done. Um, but I think it's important that we, we have... Uh, that whatever we're doing, including the table, uh, it has an it has a purpose and an end. And uh, for me, the table talks about the width. And so the table, particularly as a strategy for reaching our neighbors, is is wonderful. I mean, uh, who who doesn't want a free meal? Right. <laughs> who doesn't want a friend that will listen? Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want me to you know have an opportunity to invite my friends? You know. So I think. Uh, I think, in, particularly now, I'm speaking about ministry in the margins. I'm speaking particularly in those areas that are in transition in America, where churches that are already there, churches that are already paid for, churches that, you know, that um, are, are on their last leg, so to speak. Um, and that's a lot of churches, a lot of churches. Um, I think they need to be thinking strategically about how do we engage the neighborhood. And so for me, it's not enough just to give them the church. I mean, you give them a church, they can turn around and sell it and buy something else. Uh, I think what we're doing, what we need to do is invest ourselves in the future. And in that future are ethnics and immigrants. And if you want to reach them, strategy includes culture. And uh, so I... I I don't I'm thankful for all the big churches and all the strategy all the training all God bless them that's wonderful but I'm going to tell you what Jesus works in the margins mm -hmm. and these churches are in the margins 
both churches are in the margins. The ones that are have completed their mission and those who are looking for a place where they can do what God wanted them to do. And the marriage of those two. I'm, I'm, so when you ask me, what do I see? What do I want? I want, I want our churches to, who are in those margins to realize God's not done with them. There's still tons they can do. Uh, and so, you know, we need to, I really thought about the title of the book, maybe Passing the Church Forward. Hmm. Uh, passing the Church Forward intentionally. Passing the church forward, looking around and understanding the, the 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 communities are changing around us. Passing the church forward by investing my time. You know, now that I'm retired, or I'm not retired, I'm just doing going to do another thing. It's uh, really realizing everything we've ever done as a church doesn't end. We can just pass the church forward by giving it to the next group of people. And I'm not just saying give it to them because they're there. I'm saying investing ourselves in their lives. Mm -hmm. It's being with. And, and, and doing it with them. Mm -hmm. And then them taking it on and doing it and not leaving the church, but saying, hey, uh, I'm going to hang around and I'll be an advisor. I'll be a counselor. Uh, I'll be a mentor, um, whatever. So for me, I think. The biggest, most exciting things that are happening are happening in the margins. Hmm. And and the reason I say that is there's a ton of turnover that's going to be going on of church buildings, uh, of, of church, the wonderful, godly people that invested their lives in that building. Uh, there's still stewards in those churches that need to steward that forward. Uh, rather than being in fear, rather than... Uh, saying, oh, we're losing something, we need to realize that, you know, it's not lost until we say it's over and we sell it. Right. Yeah. Recently, I guess because I've, I'm retired, I've been thinking about, you know, retirement income and stuff like that. And the last few weeks, not that I have a ton of money, but uh, bonds and stuff like that, stocks didn't do very good. Not that I have that much, but I, I started realizing, well, I don't really lose unless I sell. Right. <laughs> Hello, I lost. Yeah. But what if I don't sell? What if I just hang on to it? And what if those churches aren't sold? They're just held on to, and they're just reinvested. Hmm. Uh, I think. I think there's. That's probably the number one biggest uh, thing that gets me jazzed up and uh, concerned is people getting over the fear and the loss. And realizing there's no loss until we give up. Hmm. We need to pass it forward. And right. that doesn't happen by just giving somebody a building. That means we invest in those that are the future. Yeah. And we look outside and we look towards the margins. Exactly. And I'm telling you right now, meals around a table are one of the greatest ways to connect with people. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your, your wisdom, your insight. Um, and as we wrap up, I'd like to just ask a few sort of fun questions in rapid fire. Just oh. since we've been talking about food, um, what's one food you refuse to eat? Ah. <laughs> Ludafisk. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you all don't know, uh, it is this sort of gelatinous fish. <laughs> 
that's kind of a Scandinavian uh, treat. Uh, Bill Hamill, the president, uh, was a big uh, uh, Mexican food aficionado, and he wanted he challenged me to have uh, some lutefisk tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I lose. Yeah, <laughs> I tried it. Okay, I tried yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, maybe if I'd had some hot sauce, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I could have sanctified it. Right. Lutefisk. Yeah. So yeah, it also covers a multitude of sins. Lutefisk. <laughs> <laughs> so then, on the other end of the spectrum, what's one of the best things you have ever eaten? Ah, mole. 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 Yes, sir. It's a. Uh, it's a sauce that you put on chicken that it's a combination of peanut butter, chili, and chocolate. Mm-hmm. And if done right, you can't taste either one of them. No. It's an amazing sauce. So it's on chicken. And recently, I've even had some people putting it on their enchiladas. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. No, mole is one of those yeah, ingredients and sauces. I had this in church who made mole, and she said it took her eight hours. Yeah. I asked her to teach me how to do it. And she said, no, because then you wouldn't come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yep. Yep. It seems like and the best know, food. It's not even the food. It's even prepping the food together and stuff like that. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's rubbing shoulders. It's it's learning from the tias, the abuelas, you know, handing down the traditions, you know, just like churches need to hand down the traditions. It's handing down the cultural food traditions as well. Mm-hmm. And then, and then finally, um, there's sort of a conversation amongst chefs about if you knew you only had one last meal to enjoy, what would it be? And so, f- for you, if you had one last meal, what would you choose to eat, and why? Easy, Easy. the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Because I want to remember Him forever. Hmm. That's beautiful. With my family, the church. Yeah. No kidding. Lord's Supper. Hmm. Yeah. And in community, not by yourself, but with not with myself. those you love. With those I love. My church. Hmm. Wow. But with real wine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. None of this Welch's grapefruit, grape juice no, that no, was no. invented to take Lots it. Lots of good stuff. I, yes. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining me, Alex. This was a true privilege and an honor just to have this time with you. Um, and so, yeah, no, look forward to more. And if people want to learn more about your work or what you're up to, is there a way they can connect with you? Uh, well, I am on Facebook at Alex Mandis. I also have a website called Alex.Mandis at Outlook. No, it's called uh, AlexMandis.com. Perfect. Great. And we'll make sure those are posted in the show notes. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Biggest Table, where we explore what it means to be transformed by God's love around the table and through food. Until next time, bye. God bless you, brother.